You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. The world of business is a challenging one. From the youngest entrepreneurs to the biggest and most respected names across Canada, you need to have a strong will, determination, and skills to navigate to the top. I'll be talking to everyone from budding entrepreneurs to the established leaders in the world of business. You'll hear their stories of where they were, where they are, and where they're going. I'm Manjeet Minhas, and this is my podcast. Hello, and welcome to today's show. My guest today is Jen Harper, founder, owner, and CEO of Cheekbone Beauty. Jen has taken a few different paths through the business world, learning many skills and valuable lessons that would eventually lead her to launch her indigenous beauty brand, Cheekbone Beauty, at the end of 2016. Welcome to the show, Jen. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. I'm excited to chat today. I love everything beauty, but more, I love everything to do with not only your journey and your story from what I know, but also somebody who's really making a real difference in the world. So let's maybe start at the beginning. You were originally born in Thunder Bay, but grew up in the Niagara region of Southern Ontario. You attended Ryerson for business, but ended up dropping out. So maybe you want to talk to us a little bit about kind of your upbringing and your education and where you thought life was going to take you. Yeah, I grew up with my mom in, in St. Catharines, which is, I think, the largest city in our region here in Niagara and lived here ever since I was about four and then ended up, you know, moving to Toronto and taking some business courses at Ryerson. And it's funny when I think about it now, I like I had no idea, but I really did love business because I remember one of the courses was a marketing course and I absolutely loved it. It's just life is strange and twisted and turns and never was a great student. So really struggled in sort of uh, elementary and secondary school. And then even in this business program, when it came to like some of the math courses, I was really struggling and just discovered later in life that I had, you know, an undiagnosed case of dyslexia. So little things like that, discovering as an adult. Right. But ended up dropping out. I ran out of money living in Toronto and moved back home to St. Catharines with my mom. And I was still quite young. I was only like 22 when this happened. And so ended up meeting who's my husband today, Paul, in St. Catharines. And then we ended up staying here and starting a family. And that took me down the journey of the career I had in the hospitality space. So Niagara region, Niagara is Canada's Mm -hmm. largest wine area. And really got interested in the wine industry as well as like a lot of the boutique style hotels and worked for some great owner operators that taught me a ton about paying attention to detail and how important the customer experience is. And I just remember that now, obviously, when building the brand and you really realize it is your customers. It's this market that's really going to dictate if, if there's success behind what you're working on and building. And I learned so much from being in the hospitality industry. And then after my kids were born, Someone I worked with said, you should go work for Cisco. They're hiring. I think you would be great at sales. And so I had left and went to work for Cisco, which is a broadline food distribution company. It's where I learned about white private label, um, mm-hmm. that that existed in the food world. And that came into play later when I, when I got into the beauty world and then left Cisco and worked specifically for a seafood company. So they were based out of Toronto and worked for them for eight years. And Cheekbone was definitely my side hustle for those last three before I left. But all of those jobs, I think being in sales is such a a great learning experience. 
in terms of building a tenacity is as an entrepreneur, because you get a lot of no's, there's so much rejection. Nobody wants to talk to you. And it's very similar to the role I have today. (laughs) Very true. I think in sales, no matter what you're selling, everybody thinks that they've already got something like it. They're happy the way they are. Like to convince somebody that they need something different. And then on top of that, need what you have to sell definitely takes a lot of rejection and no's and takes it. I think a specific part of us that needs not only flexing, but it needs that repetition to not only build to understand what a customer needs, what a client needs, what a good salesperson is, but also just how to pick yourself up after every single no and keep going. But then sometimes take some feedback. I'm not, and I I debate this a lot with my fellow dragons, that you know the customer isn't always right in that you don't have to listen to everything that they have to say. You have to take it in in small doses in order to understand and stay true to who you are. But I, I so believe that too, that everybody, no matter what they do or end up doing, should go through sales um, and have a sales job because it is eye-opening in so many different ways. Yeah, exactly. It taught me so many things. It taught me a lot about myself for sure. And so then you said that Cheekbone you know, was a side hustle. So what was your dream with Cheekbone? So having an actual dream, in January of 2015. And I say to everyone, it was like a literal dream. There's like, I always joke when I'm doing a speaking event, because when I talk about this dream, I think people assume I'm native. So it's like a vision. And I'm like, no, this was like (laughs) sleeping in my bed, pop up and remember, I think we have dreams and I only remember little bits of it. But Hmm. what was obviously the standout is these, you know, sweet little native girls like brown little skin with rosy red little cheeks and just they were covered in lip gloss. They had gotten into lip gloss and made a mess of themselves. And from that dream, I grabbed my laptop that night. And it's so strange when I think about it now, because this is crazy. I literally started writing out, okay, yeah, figure out how to make a lip gloss. And I want to use a portion of these profits to support my indigenous community somehow. I think the the backstory, which is really important, is that I was at this crazy intersection of my life. Like I had recently just started learning about my grandparents' experience at residential school. And I myself had just entered sobriety. Like I had battled alcoholism for many years, but then discovered, okay, that's not for me right now. I was on this healing journey. And then also learning and doing a ton of reading on the Indigenous experience in Canada and learned that for first people, the residential school system played a massive negative impact on our lives. And it was still impacting our lives to this day. And how once I learned that, I was like, okay, well, now that I know that, what could I do to actually realize that I have the ability to rewrite the story for my family, for myself, but then also empower my community and other Indigenous people in the way that we don't have to live with that old narrative. Like we can change it. And so that was, I think, the beginnings of what Cheekbone is today. And I was so naive when I think about it now, looking back, like trying to enter the beauty space and not knowing anything about it, not having any experience there. However, I think that being that naive helped me stick it out. Otherwise, I probably would have left so much sooner. And then that experience that I had at Cisco when we would like, you know, McCain would be the one actually making our French fries, but we were putting them in Cisco branded boxes and knew that we were doing that with so many different sides of manufacturing and and then did some research and realized, oh, okay, I can get a lipstick made here in Canada. There's manufacturers doing that. And it's about just putting a logo on the product. 
then I entered the industry and I realized, okay, well, they're not telling me how everything's done. I realized I just became honestly obsessed with really figuring out, okay, if they're not going to tell me, why aren't they telling me one, what's in everything? And how can I go about trying to figure out how to make a better product and something that is completely different? Because the reality is, if I could figure out how to do this and put this brand into the world, anyone is going to be able to figure that out. So then now I have nothing to be competitive in this marketplace that's extremely competitive. So we set out on this new journey of like, okay, let's look at a need in the beauty space. And it certainly was sustainability. Like people talk about the 120 billion plastic units come from packaging in the beauty space. And if there was something we we're going to solve in this area, I think for us, it certainly hit the sustainability box. And so we just began this journey on how to do that. However, the white private label world cost so much less than this new path. And we definitely needed to find investors. And gratefully, we did in 2019. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, you unpacked a lot there. So I'm going to go backwards just a little bit there. I love that through the beginning of this story of Cheekbone and at a crossroads in your own life that you decided that you were going to do something about it. I think too many people wait for others to do something and to have conversations before they're popular or hit the mainstream or know how it's affecting their own life. And so I love that you decided that you were going to change the narrative and you were going to empower yourself and your family and do something that was for you that you were passionate about because you saw some goals in your life that you wanted to achieve. And so, you know, everybody does it in different ways. You saw it through a lip gloss, which I think is fascinating in a lot of different ways, because most people don't pick in high demand products that they seem, you know, from the outside world, or even if you know a little bit, which I know just a little bit about that world, you think, oh my God, no way. I'm never going to tackle that. And people say that to me all the time about liquor. I too, like you, was naive. I had no clue how big my competitors were and or like what an underdog, an an understatement by all means that I was going to be. But I think that to find out different things from different parts of your life, like the white label part of it, which is actually a decent part of my business where a lot of people don't even know that is really, really fascinating because it helps people trying to get their product off the ground to figure out not all of the pieces but a part of that they can be good at, like sales, marketing, and branding, get somebody else to figure out the manufacturing. Then when they can, then they can do that. And then they can get their competitive edge once they figure out all of those pieces and can bring all of that in. Because otherwise, being an entrepreneur can seem very overwhelming if you're trying to do everything yourself from scratch, from the start. Because I too went to somebody else to get my products made. And then, well, it turned around in 2006. And then I'm the one making products for Sobeys, Costco, 7-Eleven, Walmart, and many, many others. And so I think that it really is interesting how you decided that you wanted to take control and start something new, but not all on your own, all right in the beginning. It was something that took time and took steps. And so I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that to say that when you were deciding it was going to be a lip gloss and I was going to be called Cheekbone, you were going to use some of the profits to do well in your own community and in your family. How did you decide what your business plan was going to be? Where were you going to separate yourselves and come up with just not another lip gloss that came and went? Because we can all name, unfortunately, too many brands that come and go. Yeah, I think I probably didn't think enough about that in the early days because you're like, Mm -hmm. how do you not be the brand that's going to come and go? I think 
the rose colored glasses and I was just so passionate about what I was doing. So I wasn't thinking enough about the future. I just saw this opportunity for the brand to exist because the the whole idea in those early days was definitely about like there wasn't it didn't feel like there was any representation for our communities and so i think that was the first step and that was like okay i'll tackle this first and then take care of this so it wasn't until a few years later that i really realized and i was actually meeting with the team at sephora canada so they have an accelerator program that they offer every year and that was in 2018 and i went and met with them and got rejected from their accelerator program, but stayed in contact with one of their VPs of merchandising in Canada. And in the meeting, though, in that boardroom that day, they were super clear that private label is not going to be anything that ever hits a Sephora shelf. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. Now, like, I really sat there and I was like, I, I get this. And they weren't wrong. Anyone can do this. So Unless you're Rihanna, you know, and I well, think that, that yeah. is that is the interesting part for them to say, like, you have to have a competitive edge unless you're a big celebrity who has a variety of like yes. tons of money. You have to have a product that has multiple other things going for it, not just a name slapped on it, which I think is really insightful for a lot of people because they they don't understand that all the time. No. And I think so. And this is a really interesting factor. We would reach out to our cheekbone community and be like, what do you guys all love about cheekbone? And everyone's answer was always that we were indigenous. So we knew that that was important. But from a business perspective, it can't just be like what sets us apart is that we're indigenous. I'm like the product itself has to be something that's better that doesn't yet exist. And our community, as much as they've supported us, I just really had to realize, okay, these are not generally business people, right? So they're answering based on literally it was coming from their heart. They were just really proud that there was an indigenous brand out there. What's fascinating now when I think about our community and how it's even evolved is this idea of when we then said, and we, cause we use our community for so much in the early days and we still do, we, we were talking and asked, started asking questions about greener products, eco-friendly, sustainability, vegan, what are all the things that really matter? And it's interesting that sustainability, even though it was still kind of relatively, I feel like it's so popular now, but three years ago, nobody, it wasn't as popular, but people were found that to be really important. And I think packaging became a conversation that people were truly concerned about. And we were, we were getting some great feedback from them. So we made a lot of decisions at that time, listening to Sephora, my gut, which I've shared with people before is in my last five years at the seafood company, I was, you know, if I was at the Boston Seafood Show, I would be at every workshop that was talking about sustainable seafood. If you talk to any of my chefs to this day and they knew me in those days, I was trying to sell them sustainable, traceable seafood. So it's, it's something that I'd always been, been passionate about and I knew would be really important in, in the years to come. And it's interesting that the community, our community started asking those same kinds of questions and you get like I'm fascinated by the kinds of questions like our consumer and con community ask now, because I feel like the internet is just filled with so much information. Granted, most of it misinformation, but right. they're asking all kinds of questions because they're so stinking confused. So I, I really then thought, okay, I'm going to go with my gut here and we're going to focus on sustainability. And that was like the, the next foundation and bottom line. And then in reality, which I found to be really fascinating, 
was when I was learning more and more about my Anishinaabe roots, my indigenous culture, truly indigenous people have been the OGs of sustainability. Like if you think about our indigenous teachings and the the stories that we've passed on, this has been something that's so innately indigenous. And then when I think about just like in my own communities, how we use language, like all my relations. And, and when people say those things, they're talking about not only other human beings, but animal life, plant life, water, mm. air. Like, so this is the, and the more I've learned about that, like his, his history has shown that these are things that indigenous people are truly passionate about. And so I thought that that would just like marry so well is this idea of, okay, what does modern Western science say and, and do with sustainability? And what is the indigenous wisdom on this subject? And and we've found so many things. And so one of the teachings that we now use when we make and create any product, it's a concept called two-eyed seeing. It was coined by an elder on the East Coast where you marry indigenous wisdom and Western science in any sort of product development and creation. And so we use that, which is this concept called life cycle thinking or life cycle analysis. And if you've been in any rooms where they're talking about sustainability, this is a very common practice. It's like the cradle to grave story. Like how is things harvested? How are things made in the, in, from the earliest days to the end of the life of a product, which includes packaging. And so we work backwards and are like, how can we be a brand that no part of our component is going to end up in a landfill? And how do we think about this in a regenerative way? And so just going back, like literally back to our roots, but really using science to make and create products. And then decided in all of this crazy part of this journey, I went to our investors and I said, I know that like this is nuts and really expensive, but I think we need to build a lab and hire a scientist, which is our chemist, who's Alexandra, that's with us full time. And we need, I had found when I would go to outsource labs, everything, every process was taking forever. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I had that person, because I'm not a scientist, that right. could literally explain and then tell me why this ingredient doesn't work with it. And so we just took this leap of faith and, and went down that route and really started focusing a lot on our innovation side of our business. So when, you know, going back to those conversations with Sephora, what's going to make and set us apart from all the other brands and for us, it's all the other indie brands in the beauty space. And there is a lot. We're like, let's make innovation our thing and, and really focus on the path to better and more sustainability and what that journey looks like, but also do things where we think we can create products that have ingredients that there's a lot of innovation involved. And so we got a grant from IRAP and we're working on a project where we're taking the waste from our fruit industry, wine industry here in Niagara and extracting active ingredients that will hopefully go into a future foundation project that we're working on right now. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I guess I have one, oh, that question. I think that's so cool. I can't imagine the day that I could be putting lipstick on and licking it at the same time because it came from wine grapes, you know, super cool. And so what does sustainability mean to Cheekbone? What does it mean to you? Does it mean that life cycle that it doesn't go into our landfill? Because that, that word, of course, carries so many different meanings and definitions depending on who it is and what product it is and what industry it is. And so for you guys, sustainability means what exactly? Number one, sustaining our communities. So, and that was the core of our brand. We'll never lose sight of our big why. 
that was empowering our next generations. And I think when you are someone who's in a public position and has the ability to take a risk and try to make a brand that is making a statement, to me, I feel like that's the best, the only thing I knew how to do to help empower my next generation. Mm -hmm. And I think the best story I have for that, Manjeet, is we just had a campaign with Sephora Canada, and it was just this past June, Indigenous Peoples Month. And I got to go tour all the Sephoras in Canada. And the one event was at the Eaton Center. And Sephora had paid for this massive billboard inside the Eaton Center at the, like, the top level. And it was like our branding and it's cheekbone now available in Sephora. And I sat there in the mall that morning when, before the event. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like I grew up in native public housing in Scarborough. And if I would go to the Eaton Center with my dad, we would probably be accused of stealing. Or <laughs> my dad's arguing with someone about his status card more yeah. than any. And I would never dream in a million right. years, to be perfectly honest, that I would have a brand that's in Sephora. Like that was a thought that never crossed my brain. And then I met this young little girl. She's Anishinaabe like me that, that night at Sephora. And she was just so cute, so spunky. And we were like just having great conversation. And I drove home back to St. Catharines. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like for me, this is the first time what real representation mm-hmm. means and, and how, how deep it truly is. She will only ever imagine what she can be. Because right. she just saw someone who looked like her that has a brand in Sephora. Whereas the, right. those, that opportunity didn't exist for me as a kid. So I think for me, the first and foremost part of sustainability is that. And then secondly... And I love that. I, I'm smiling <laughs> here to ear. I know our audience can't see me because they're only listening. And I literally have tears in my eyes because it's just so inspiring because I, I truly know how you feel. And I think so many people listening can identify with that, that you couldn't imagine where your life would be, not only today, but also that you can't imagine because you've never seen it being done, as in you've never seen somebody who looks like you, who has a name like you, has a background like you, like I could go on and on. And I'm glad that you did that. You take more moments to sit back and say like, wow, I, I did that and I'm doing that because it is inspiring and truly amazing for sure. Yeah, that was, it was, it was certainly a powerful drive home. Cause I was like, oh my goodness, this is all like, I, you know, you think you know what representation is and why it matters. Yeah. But when you're actually having the moment where you yeah. live through it, I was like, holy moly. Yeah. So that was just insane. And then this, the sustainability for us is how can we leave less of an impact on the planet? Mm-hmm. So there are so many things in, in areas that we can do that. Right now, we focus on packaging and eliminating things from landfill. Thinking about things that can be reused or refilled is a big mm-hmm. part of our mission. So there's three areas. And then also carbon emissions and how we can truly try to become a carbon neutral brand. So that even in terms of our supply chain and, and all of those areas, how we can do less or do things that create offsets so that we are creating neutrality versus adding to the, the, the issue. That's the first step we've chosen to take. And then we also are internally working on a sustainability calculator that we have incredible interns and volunteers from, from Guelph, which is an, a university that does a lot of focus on environmental stuff here in Ontario. That's helped us build and create that. And then we are going to put out our first ever sustainability report. Our fiscal ends October 31st. And so this will come out in November, which is something that I'm, I know it's so nerdy, but I'm just so proud of that because we say we're doing all these things. And I know lots of brands do, 
but the reality is, and, and, and unless anyone can show you what they've done, it really means nothing. Agreed. And so we're really glad that we're, you know, we're just small, but we're still doing it. And so this isn't the first time we've chatted, but this is the first time I've chatted knowing about you. You know, you came into the den in season 14, so three years ago, and you were really just starting up. And it was the first time that we had heard of you. We know nothing about anybody who comes into the den before they come in other than your name. And so it was really interesting for us to not only hear your pitch, but then also really just try to grasp and understand your business and your vision. And I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't totally have the vision. And I think we all didn't understand that vision because it wasn't completely molded yet or put, you know, pen to paper in your mind, you were still figuring it out, but you knew that you wanted to do big things. And I think we had those big questions as we do when we see the hundreds of pitches that we do while we're filming is that what is going to separate you apart? If you get money, then what? How are you going to get more money? I remember the money and the funding part being a big part of this conversation because anything to do with beauty takes a lot of money, as does clothing and, you know, some specific industries. So, you know, you took a big risk by coming on. And obviously, it's always multiple folds, but a big part of it is looking for funding and investors. So tell me how that journey has been and why you decided to come into the den. And then what happened since with, with the funding portion of the business? Full disclosure, I had no idea. Like this was truly a side hustle still at that moment, right? I'm still, so you can only know so much. And and I yeah. mean, I still remember someone had said, they saw the episode recently, they're like, oh, I'm so glad you were like, I guess Arlene and Michelle were both saying, do not take any of this deal. You're just too early, right? And now I realize how valuable those words that they said actually were, because it would be insane if I was actually to give 50% of my business up to someone for such a small amount of money, like we would have, we wouldn't have survived. Like, I don't even think we, our business would still be in existence if that was the case. So it's amazing what you don't know when you're starting, but as a new entrepreneur, you're just so desperate and so passionate about the thing that you're building. Honestly, you don't know what it all looks like at that moment. And you really don't. I, and I, I mean, for most, Maybe some people do. I'm most people that I talk to, it's like we all have just grown in so many ways, and your business grows and it grows with the kind of community that's building themselves and supporting the company at the same time. Definitely knew it would be excellent marketing. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie about that. Like, yeah, I knew that would absolutely been, people don't know the heart, the, the most money we spend right now is on marketing, and it's just getting people to hear you, listen to right. you, hear your brand name. So we, I knew that that was important. Um, and then at the same time, I almost was literally, you want people to tell you what's wrong with what you're doing. Uh huh. I needed feedback on like, where, like, is this really going to work or isn't it going to work? Cause it is the most, and listening to all of you say that this is a ridiculously competitive industry was even more like validation that like, okay, yeah, I am in this space and this is so competitive. But just ha- I think revalidating that for me as a founder was important to really to make me think about separating myself from all the other brands and what they were doing. What not a lot of people know is just before going on the show, Raven Capital is an indigenous social impact fund. And we had started meeting in January and I believed we taped for Dragon's Den in May of 2019. Yeah. So we had about 
like four months of us, like I literally say like courting because I don't know who these guys are <laughs> and it's you're trying to figure out. And mm -hmm. so they gave me a term sheet and it was a convertible debt deal, which I didn't even know was a deal because I've never heard about deals before. And they said, we're going to give you 350000 and we think in the next 18 months, and then you can either turn that into equity or you can pay us back at this, you know, reasonable interest rate. And I'm like, okay, thanks. Let me go tape on Dragon's Den and then I'll get back to them. So I got back to them afterwards, obviously. <laughs> that was, and I didn't even know for a new entrepreneur and not having like sort of that friends and family, I don't have friends and family right. with the money that they would be willing to give me. And in anyone's right mind, friends or family, who is going to give someone that is selling seafood any money for a cosmetics <laughs> business? Like that's nuts when I think about it now, right? So, well, it's called love money, angel money. It's called a lot of things. <laughs> but one thing I love that you said was that you wanted validation, but also you wanted to find out what's wrong with the idea. So, a lot of people call me very tough and too honest on the show. And of course, as you know, you know, we film for about 45 minutes each pitch and the audience only gets to see an edited about six minute version of it. And a lot of what I truly believe my role in the last eight years and hopefully many more years to come is that I am that. Listen, you've got my and these other very smart people beside me undivided attention. And also you're going to get my true opinion, whether you like it or not, based on my experience, what I've seen, what I've made money at, what I've failed at. I don't know at all, and all of us don't, but we definitely have an educated opinion about it. And I think that too many entrepreneurs have too many yes people around them. They have family and friends, they have investors who have a vested interest, not only financially, but a vested interest in helping and cheering and supporting that entrepreneur on and that individual on, which I think is great, but to a point, everybody needs those truth tellers and they need constructive criticism to say, okay, well, have you thought about this? And I remember when you came on is that we've seen lots of beauty brands, but one thing that we could feel, but we didn't know how is that your story was going to set you apart, but you weren't yet totally embracing your story. And so we know that's not our job to be able to convince somebody to do that. But we knew that there was something there. Hence, you got some offers that were tough offers because we knew that there was work to be done. And so it does also, I love that you said validate the idea to say that I knew I have something, but I just got to go figure it out to be like, okay, um, now that I'm ha starting these tough conversations about a lot of different things that the idea is right and the name, but everything else probably since then has kind of changed. Yeah. Even the funny when you say that the yes people, like we will come out with a new product and we've learned we can't go to our community for feedback because they all mm. love it. We're like, you are right. lying. Like, I think this is terrible, right? <laughs> certain aspects of it. So we've now realized when we go and put out a new product, we have to go find people that don't know anything about us or the brand. There's right. companies that do that for you. But to get that kind of feedback, that's real and raw. And it's so right. important, right? Like having, yes, of course, we need yes people to make us feel good. But right. in reality, we just need some, some truth to be told sometimes. And that's hard. Most people get defensive very quickly. It's hard for them to hear criticism. And it is hard for all of us, especially when it's your product because it's your baby and you feel like as dragons or in particular are attacking you, it's not personal by any means. No. And I think that that is always hard for an entrepreneur to separate is because that product becomes so a part of you. And it's so hard to separate the two 
that that for a lot of people is often where, where it breaks down. Yeah. I've watched the show for years. So you see those moments where it's, you guys are literally trying to help them out by being like, this is enough. And you're the audience and you're like, yes, just, but then you feel so bad for this person because you can see that it's become like a child to them, right? It's an extension of who they are. And and that's hard. I think, you know, one thing I talk to myself a lot and in the early days, I was like, I'm giving this three to five years and I'm going to be honest with myself every month. I'm going to keep asking myself, why am I doing this? And is it still working? And I have to be honest. It always, you know, in the way that is the revenue still happening or the, is the opportunity coming where the revenue will happen? Is the community still being engaged? And so just trying to be as honest as possible because you can't just have a business for the sake of having a business and, and draining all kinds of things, not only financially, but yourself emotionally, if it's really not working, right? right. And so I think that helped me really separate that. I, of course, I mean, in public, I get called cheekbone beauty, but I am not cheekbone beauty, right? That's not, right. this isn't fully who I am, but obviously it's a big part of me. Right. And so what does the name cheekbone mean? Where did it come from? Yeah, I had the like brand idea and it was probably about nine months before we actually had a name. I was uh, driving because when you're a sales rep, you do a ton of driving. So I was driving and listening to podcasts and there was a podcast that Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx was on. She was talking about naming Spanx and the K sound. So then I, I became obsessed with trying to come up with a word with a K in it. And she talked about how she was a comedian in her early days. I did not know that until that podcast, but <laughs> audiences remember words with the sound, the K sound. And so then I was like, okay, whatever, we got to find a K word. When, and again, driving the word cheekbone popped in my mind and I'm like, oh my goodness, like I love cheekbones on all human beings. Then mm-hmm. I'm like, indigenous people have high cheekbones. We're known for cheekbones. And so I got home that night and looked up some like marketing research on it. And people with higher cheekbones were known and perceived as more trustworthy. I'm like, we're a new brand. Of course, you want to build trust. And so those were the reasons we got the name. Looking back, I probably should have made up a word because Canada didn't let me trademark it for sure because it's an actual word. But we were able to trademark it with the logo. But Canada still didn't do that until the United States post and patent and trademark office said yes first. And then we went back to Canada and we're like, the US said yes. And then Canada's like, okay, fine. <laughs> so we got to trademark it, but with our logo. I love the meaning behind it. And then it has so many different things. And sometimes they're just serendipitous and you learn. I love how you've learned from others around you because a part of it is marketing, as you said before, right? But also it has a variety of other meanings, which is fascinating. You mentioned Sephora Canada a couple of times. And so you have a partnership with Sephora and you're about to launch in 600 JCPenney stores. So massive news. Congratulations. So that obviously means that you're growing and growing south of the border. So what does that mean for Cheekbone and what can we expect next? Yeah, that for us, it's been, you know, working with Sephora Canada has been amazing. We had a really slow start. So we're actually, we're going into more locations in Sephora in Canada, as well as adding more SKUs, which is awesome because we're we're like, we only have five, we need more. Our customers were giving us the feedback. It's not enough. And so Sephora listened, so grateful for that. So we're growing here. And then we started out as this direct to consumer brand. And you just realize like the 
the marketplace in Canada is really small, right? Like it's just, we have these neighbors south of the border that's a population of like 300 million versus just our 30 million, which is just the state of California. So I think for us, just having a bigger marketplace and we found our core group here and we know the kind of people and really got to know who our core customer is in Canada. So now we just want to extend that to a different country. And, and we feel like there's a lot of things that are relatable. So the U.S. is our first like sort of next big spot to grow and build. And the JCPenney opportunity is because of an organization called 13 Loon, which is like a BIPOC marketplace that they started as a D2C. And the mm. founder, her name is Nikeo Greco, and she is a, a Black woman, a Black beauty founder who wanted to bring together a whole bunch of BIPOC brands and create this marketplace. And then there's opportunities she created through JCPenney where they once had shop and shops actually with Sephora's in them. And Sephora is then no longer partnered with JCPenney, but partnered with Kohl's. But the shop and shops for 13 Loon, this space became available for them. And so then they've started slowly. They had 10 locations last year open. And then over the next six months, they're going to open like 75 doors a month. And so we get to be a part of that. We came a little bit late into the game. We will be launching in there with them, but not right off the hop because obviously, you know, how merchandising works, they've already built everything out. So they're figuring out how to incorporate our brand in there right now. And we're both really excited about the opportunity. I feel like the, what Nikeo has built is a really awesome place to find beauty and especially for indie brands and, and brands for people of color. She's done just a, an amazing work with this organization and we're really excited about that. I, I really love that she has decided because that she's not only going to give a hand up to a lot of other BIPOC women in indie brands, but that there's room for everyone. I think that too many women especially feel that there's not enough room for everybody, but there is enough room. And it is always refreshing that when somebody finds success, they bring others along with them because there's a lot of space for a lot of different products. And there's, like you say, a lot of consumers out there that can benefit. When we're all looking at our makeup drawers, we don't only carry one brand. We're all you know, trying new things out all the time. And I love that if we can reach out and expand it to other brands, even as owners that you guys are working together rather than against each other, which I think is quite fabulous. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm really excited about this. I'm looking forward to seeing it on shelves for sure. So you're really passionate about bringing awareness to the Indigenous community, as well as the stories and struggles from within them. And so you've spoken at various entrepreneur groups, women in business, you know, big organizations such as Apple. And so you also were a part with Minister, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau to discuss a strategy for Women's Entrepreneur Fund, which um, you know, has donated and supported a lot of Indigenous youth and women and sustainability efforts. So you're very passionate about your heritage. So can you maybe tell me a little bit about why these specific topics are important to you and how you're not only giving back, but others can too? Yeah. So with every purchase from Cheekbone Beauty, since we've become a B Corp organization, we are committed to giving back 2% of our annual revenues to causes that support Indigenous youth and their education, as well as for us, environmental causes. So we do 1% and 1%. Because I'm an Indigenous woman, obviously, but I have children, I have nieces, I have nephews. I feel like just the more opportunities we can create for each other 
it's just going to be a better future for all of our kids. And so if you have to find yourself having conversations with people, then so be it. And I think there's such a a unique way. I always feel like I'm, I definitely never call myself an activist because I just don't feel like one. And I just feel like the work that we do and the kind of conversations I engage in is who I am. But I always want to do this from like a truly like loving place and understanding that this perspective that we all have in our own lives comes from that sort of that own experience. Like there's no way I can understand someone else's experience and there's no way I should expect them to understand mine. And so what we've done at Cheekbone Beauty is we really try to, we call it creating a, a, a soft place for people to land, whether you're Indigenous or not. Sometimes, you know, we, we've really opened up our platform. If you have a question, you know, we get emails about really interesting stuff. And I feel like I'm so grateful that our community, which is our, our community, when I say that we're talking about our customer community, it's 75% not Indigenous. So we have this large customer base that really is passionate about Indigenous people and communities and seeing them succeed. So they've truly become our allies. But we certainly love that we have this space now where people, if you have something that you're interested in, you know, you'll see in our social content, like this past, you know, before powwow season starts, we started sharing, like, who can go to a powwow? Like, as if you weren't Indigenous, you might question if you're even allowed to go or be there. Right. Right. So we're like, let's tell the world that, yes, you're allowed to go. And here's what it means about participation. Right. If you're going to participate, there's a time and a place. And here's when you would do that. And here's who you speak to at the powwow. Each powwow has a a master of ceremonies. That's who you can go find out. Like so. And the vendors are there. We would love you to shop those like so just all of those things. And we're like, how can we be a place where we feel like we're filling that void, but doing it in in a loving way? and compassionate way, right? So people feel safe and comfortable. Yeah, it's safe and comfortable to ask questions, but to also understand and it coming from a trusted source, which is really important too. So you've gained so much experience and knowledge from starting this brand to where you are today. Is there any piece of advice you'd like to give to somebody who's listening that is looking to become an entrepreneur or has an idea, who's got a side hustle? That is like on that cusp, like you were to take it into their full-time gig and, and help grow and scale their business. Yeah, I think my favorite piece of advice is just about consistency. Like I'm honestly, I'm always say this, I'm not any smarter than anyone. I don't obviously have a fancy business degree, which in all honesty, that could prove to be a challenge at some points in our business. And so I'm just really honest and self-aware. However, I had enough passion. And then every single day for the last six years, I just woke up and did something to try to push the business forward. And I think the best analogy of that is like physical fitness. Cause like when you do that, you see results. And I think much like in your business life, you will see results if you just keep doing that every single day. Very good point. I I live by the motto 1% smarter before I go to bed. And I think that It's very true for your business too. Well, what an insightful conversation. I definitely learned a lot as I'm sure our audience did. You've come a long way since I saw you in the den three years ago. I look forward to seeing what's next and cheekbone everywhere. I definitely love your products. I'm wearing your sustain eyes today. So thank you so much, Jen, for your time and sharing your journey with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
If you like what we're doing on the show, be sure to follow us, leave us a like, rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode with another great guest for more insightful conversation. We'll see you again next time. Cheers.